All right, open up your Bibles to Genesis 41. <clears throat> and we'll start by looking at verses 37 through 46. Uh, and then we'll pick up uh, verses 47 to 52 from there. Genesis chapter 41, verses 37 through 46. Reads as follows, And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name unpronounceable, Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And Joseph went over all the land of Egypt, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph an honorable testimony. He is a man in whom the Spirit of God is. And such men ought to be valued. It is good that Pharaoh recognizes that Joseph was used in a mighty way here. It's not good to separate the fact that it was God who gave Joseph the ability, but these are things that Pharaoh has never experienced before. His wizards or his, uh, his mages not being able to duplicate or give interpretation. But Joseph was able to. And Joseph, if you recall, right out of the gate said, if if there be an interpretation, God will give it. God will provide these things. God is good. This, this prisoner, this once castaway sold servant, said God is good. It's so amazing to make comparison to him in our downtimes when we have had so much and been so blessed in, our, in, in the last 40, 50 years of society here in America. And yet we're so quick to say, boy, things could be better. Uh, it could have been monumentally better for Joseph prior to this moment. And yet he still says God is good. Joseph, or Pharaoh puts upon Joseph marks of honor. He gave him such a name as spoke the value that he had for him. This Zaphnath Paneah. It means a revealer of secrets. An Egyptian name, but it means a revealer of secrets. It's an honorable name. It speaks to the ability that Joseph revealed himself to have. Remember, this is the same Pharaoh that locked up both the chief butler and the chief baker until they could prove which of them was guilty. But after an hour or two, he decides to bestow such great power upon this Hebrew. Can we deny this is the work of God? It seems like a lot of red tape was usurped here in this decision made by Pharaoh when it took so long to figure out the guilt of either the butler or the baker before. 
There are a few more nonsensical conversations between Hebrews and Pharaohs coming in Exodus, so we'll, we'll come back to this, this concept. This was how Joseph was treated in the home of Potiphar as well as in his prison. Everything was found to be profitable because of Jehovah when Joseph was, was involved or in, you know, engaged in the experience. Was it not still better than he deserved? Now, we understand that there's titles that we're putting on Joseph here that maybe even Joseph wouldn't have put on himself. Servant, prisoner, things of that nature. It, we put those uh, assigned titles on it because it gives us a, a reference to what he's going through. But Joseph might have just referred to himself as a child of the king. If you're here and saved, that's who you are. A child of the king, not, not truck driver, not market research person. Not technician, not mechanic, not teacher, not lawyer's aide, not piano player, not uh, toilet bowl cleaner. Child of the king. It is a name of royalty. Is it a name that speaks to your honor or the honor bestowed upon you? You're not the child of yourself. You're not the child of great uh, wealth or, or, or worked for inheritance. You're the child of a king. He has the royalty. It's been bestowed upon you as an inheritance. Was it not better than Joseph deserved? Is it not better than we deserve? No godly man should seek such authority as what Joseph has here. Joseph never asked for it. Joseph, if you recall in the prior verses, he described the type of man they were going to need to have. And we left off in that lesson with the right man being one of resource and one of authority and, and one that could truly bless Egypt and the surrounding nations, the wrong man could end up being a tyrant. This is kind of how Joseph had laid it out before we get to verse 37. And then Pharaoh says, could there be any other? Could there be any other man who could do the things that you've described? If Jehovah's been with you to interpret these dreams that troubled me, if Jehovah's been with you in these prior 13 or so years, and surely Jehovah would be with you now. It is given of God if God requires for it to be this authority, but it should not be sought after. The calling into the ministry is referred to as a surrender, and that is indeed what it is. It's not a position in which man should strive after. It's not a position in which uh, man should drool after or, or say that I will make myself of this nature. It is what God commands of he who God commands it from. No man truly surrenders to something that was his idea all along. I would urge you to be cautious to any that say that they have. Leadership is a good thing. And to be a good leader is a good calling. What is it, though, that a man is to lead first? You see, no man should come to anything without experience of leadership because a man, every man, is called to lead his home. I know we beat this uh, dead horse quite a bit, but it's important, it's crucial. Adam was created before Eve. Adam was the one that was charged with keeping the garden or that type of temple. It is man that's continually referenced as the leader of his home. And up until Judah, it's the man that named the children. Ladies, this doesn't mean that you're not important. It doesn't devalue you in any way. 
It matter of fact, it speaks to the preciousness of the role that you have, that God would institute a leader for you to follow. And it should be a godly leader. Not many today are able to master the feat of leading their own homes. They have usurped the place of God even there. In the life of Joseph, we see that he has kept God's seat sacred. Empty idols, including the terrible one of despair and self-pity that runs through quite a few homes today, did not seem to take root with Joseph, though we could certainly see the opportunity for it to. Did he not have cause to be sad about his brothers or the time with Potiphar? We would look at it as, well, the opportunity he had to serve in Potiphar's house I imagine Joseph wasn't pleased with how it ended, but he never seemingly gave in to this self-pity. Our flesh says, I'm sure, but if he was to trust in the providence of the Lord, he was always led right to where he was required to be. This gets in the way of free will, does it not? The idea of providence, the idea of God's all-encompassing glory, bringing things to a certain point. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 8. We read this over the weekend, but turn to Romans 8. We're going to start with 28, but we're going to keep going. And we know that all things work together for good to them to love God. Could then those things be usurped? Not at all. God is bigger than all those things. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against? You see, what's spelled out here is that it was God's intention for all these things to come about. And our flesh would say, I don't want to be thrown in a dry pit. I don't want to be discarded by my brethren. I don't want to be a servant in Potiphar's house. I don't want to be a prisoner. But every time it happened to Paul, Paul says, essentially, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with one of Christ's servants. I'm going to give you the gospel day and night. How many chapters do we have in Acts where Paul is in shackles and yet preaching Christ Jesus? There is not a platform in this creation in which the gospel cannot be preached from. You don't need this one. Everyone in this room is a missionary. Everyone in this room that is saved, born again, is charged with sharing the gospel. Are we sad about the size of our churches? Go preach the gospel. Are we sad that two of our neighboring, our mission and our neighboring sister churches without a pastor? Go preach the gospel. God's not going to call a man to preach that's not saved. And men are not spontaneously saved. They must first hear the gospel. And that's our charge. Joseph God, Joseph's God is yet our God today, is he not? You see how he led through all these events? Nothing got out of control. Nothing was even close to the borderline of control and out of control. It was always within the realm of God's will. In this text, Joseph is given the signet ring of Pharaoh's own hand, given new garments of fine linen, a gold chain which was emblematic of his authority was placed on his neck. Compare this experience to that coat his father had made for him that symbolized the authority that he had in the field. 
What we'll notice here is that authority is never claimed by Joseph. It is bestowed upon Joseph. His brethren hated him for that coat. Remember, it's not Dolly Parton's coat. This was a coat that signified that he had some authority in the fields that was bestowed upon him by his father. He's got authority again now. Not authority he sought. What prisoner cries out through the bars, give me authority, and is heard of the king? Recall how that original garment was torn from him and used as a messenger of bad news to Jacob that his son might have perished. I wonder how I might have cried out, why, Lord? Why would you have these things happen to me? Why would I be discarded by my family? Why would I be drug about, locked in prisons? Look now as knees are forced to the ground at his approach. A nation was caused to trust in him for their next 14 years while his own nation threw him away. Now, I don't know if we can trust our politicians for 14 minutes, but they had to trust Joseph for at least seven good years that he wasn't playing some game over years 8 through 14. We have obvious typology of Christ here, but consider Jacob for a moment. Things ended with Laban, his father-in-law, in such a way that he couldn't return. This is how he had always believed it would be with his brother Esau after he deceived Isaac, their father. And they returned to the promised land, and after Dinah's defiled, Jacob's sons massacre the Shechemites. And he says to his sons Simeon and Levi in Genesis chapter 34, verse 30, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. He is desperate for safety, desperate for protection. And God is revealing through Joseph that such things are not tangible. They cannot be locked in a cabinet. There is no amount of canned goods and Cheerios and toilet paper that you will save up to survive a great dearth if God sends it. He can make it last as long as he needs to right. to make sure you are fully dependent upon him. It is not a physical place on this fallen creation. Could you imagine, as we see the earth and its birth pangs, crying out for its creator to return, trying to hide in this dilapidated shamble of a creation that is coming undone by our own sin from God. There's no place to hide. There is no conceivable place where he has not already thought because he thought all of these things into existence. He spoke it with a mere word. What cave will you find that he doesn't know about? What passage will you take that he hasn't already channeled? He called forth a great flood, if you recall, in Noah's day when man didn't even think rain was possible. And likely water springing forth from underground fountains that man had walked above for years and was unaware of. Man still refutes today that that ever could have been a possibility. Our true safety is only in God. <coughs> Our true safety is in the form of Christ Jesus. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God the Father is fully capable of elevating and exalting he whom he chooses. Look at verses 47 through 52. 47 through 52 there in Genesis chapter 41. And we begin now to look at the seven plenteous years. And in the seven plenteous years, or the seven years of plenty, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food. Joseph gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means causing to forget, for God said he, for God said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, which means double ash heap. I shall be doubly fruitful. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has caused me to forget the troubles of my past, and God has caused for me to be fruitful in my present and future. <laughs> So fruitful in the present that he would survive the future. There's something important about Manasseh that we seem to miss. As much as we miss the, the, the importance and the truth of forgiveness, we also miss the importance and the truthfulness of the fact that if we've been forgiven, we've been forgiven much. We've not just been forgiven initial sin. We have been forgiven all sin. Placed as far as the east is from the west. Washed as white as wool. This doesn't give us a license to sin, but it does give us a license to breathe. This means that we don't have to dread 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of sinfulness. We merely have to repent. We have to wholeheartedly repent to the Lord and turn away from that sinfulness. Oh, wow, we miss the promise here that God has taken care of all of it through Christ Jesus. The first point, it's now covered in black dots, is spoiled by God's blessings. We see in these years of plenty that all were being spoiled by God's blessings. Just as the interpretation the Lord had permitted Joseph to bring, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And the Hebrew word here for handfuls, when translated literally, personifies the earth in describing its fruitfulness to be as though it was bestowing its bounty with full hands bestowing its bounty with full hands. And no, I, I never refer to her or Mother Earth. There's one creator, and this dirt is not my mama. This is the creation that fell with Adam. But it's giving forth fruitfulness. You remember what happened in Genesis 3? Essentially, God the Father said, you're going to struggle to get anything to grow again. You're going to fight against the rocks, the hard dirt, the dry dirt. The weeds will combat you for what you will need to survive. And yet here we see seven years of so much plenty 
that the earth is seemingly giving over fruitfulness with full hands. A brilliant aspect of this future savings plan is that they be, that they began here was that Joseph was storing the food that was collected from a community in the storehouses of that community. They could literally see what they were saving. I know that doesn't sound like much, but you remember being a kid, you know, the piggy bank, and you could tell when there wasn't much in there. And usually if there wasn't much in there, you could, if you're like me, you could turn it just right and get that quarter to fall back out. But once it starts getting full, you can say, I did this, I saved this money. I used to have a, a drum, like a, a see-through plastic drum like this that my dad saved pennies. And we used to save every 1981 penny that was in there. And it was a lot easier in 81, 82, 83, haven't added any pennies in a long, long time. But you could see how many pennies were in there and you could, you could literally acknowledge the fact that this was something I put away. This was something I put forward. The levy was exacted fairly and equally everywhere. None could later complain that one area had more than another, for it was they themselves that did the saving or the story. This is a very good reason for the Lord's churches today to not turn and look to their neighboring denominational institutions or even our closest sister churches and say they have more. They do more as a result of what the church can afford. Have you brought your tithe of time and money into this local storehouse? You imagine we talked about this last weekend. We talked about, I think, the week before. Probably too much, I guess, at this point. But if, if a tithe of your time for a day is 2.4 hours, you imagine just showing up here for two and a half hours and saying, Pastor, what would you have me to do? It would drive me crazy, I'm sure. But for two and a half hours, what would go undone? If everyone every day was giving that time over to Bible study or outreach or the church building or to one another, what would go undone? We might even get irritated with one another. Go away. Find someone else for two and a half hours a day. What a blessing that would be. We could look at one another and say, do you want to have a fellowship meeting? And we'd say, why not? We're always together two and a half hours a day. It would be glorious. But we can't look outside these walls and say, why do they have and we don't? Why do they do and we don't? For one thing, the spiritual blessings that the Lord bestows upon his church are greater than can be measured and most of the time cannot be seen. We can only do with what we have been faithful to bring. If you've brought wholehearted prayer, wholehearted uh, meditation of what the Lord is doing here, wholehearted time, if we, we begin these outreaches and, and we don't bring our cell phones with us, we actually come distraction-free and we focus on who it is the Lord has put us in front of, you imagine how that time will be used? When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you've approached anything except something else on TV without your phone? Without any other means of distraction? Probably for most of us, it's the last time we mowed the yard. With reverence to what Jehovah had revealed to Pharaoh, the people tithed. And let me remind you, the word reverence has a, a tinge of fear or a tinge of awe in its definition. They didn't know this Jehovah. This wasn't one of their many gods. And yet Pharaoh said, it has been revealed, and you will honor and listen to this man. Every knee will bow, and we're going to do what he says to do. And everyone tithed. The text says, Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. This is precisely how God gives in time of plenty. Very much beyond numbering. 
He is not limited by supply, and he is certainly not concerned with demand. He sees the needs of the lilies, the needs of the cattle. He certainly knows what I need. Listen to how Paul describes the manifold blessings of God to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, this is Paul speaking, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and width and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, one of my all-time favorite sets of words in the entire Bible, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Some things that Paul mentions here. Not just strength, beloved, but his prayer that Jesus Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in being right. Mm -mm. Rooted and grounded in being loud. Rooted and grounded in being under the right pastor. No. Rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend. May be able to understand. May be able to be able to begin to see with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, height, all the dimensions, and to know the love of Christ with passive knowledge. Can't be learned. Can't be explained. That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you could ever Ask or even think to ask. That is the ability of this God. According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church. Hmm. Just imagine Joseph during, uh, during the peak of this time of great fruitfulness, gathering grain as though it was the sand of the sea. Have we numbered yet the sand in the sea? With this great technological era that we have, I should be able to ask Siri how many grains of sand there are around and in the sea. I don't know what the answer would be that Siri would give me. I don't even know what Google would say, but I have to imagine it's probably not accurate. It's just an estimate at best. Do, 
We even have the capacity to imagine such numbers. Remember in math, probably high school, maybe college, when they started doing that weird thing where it was like 10E or 10 to a crazy amount of power, and all we knew was that's a big number. Does anybody actually know how big that number? Teachers don't answer. Anybody actually know how big those numbers are? No college students can answer this question either. Yeah, me either. Me either, sister. That's how much he's pulling in. You imagine the doubters, the scoffers, I'll give my double tithe. This ain't going to work. He's never going to get my neighbor to give. He's never going to get my sister to give, my brother to give, my dad. He's a tightwad. He's not giving anything. And then these grain houses are filled to the max to the point where Joseph, who's been numbering all these things, is beyond numbering. It can't be numbered anymore. The grain houses are full. So blessed that it sounds like he's on the verge of crying, mercy, uncle, no more. If we were to truly have revival again before the Lord comes, I think that's what real revival looks like. Amen. I couldn't take another blessing. I couldn't take another blessing. We're so blessed. We heard it this weekend. We're so spoiled. You know, the, the, the word spoiled is interesting. Because if I gave everything I had to one kid and not the other three, they'd say he's spoiled. But if I pulled out a foul-smelling gallon of milk, we would also say it's spoiled. It's an interesting word, isn't it? It's not because we have too much milk. It's because it's gone bad. It's unappreciated. Be careful praying for revival when we ignore the blessings that are right before us. Sometimes we don't know the mountaintop until we're down in that valley again. By that point, the only way they could truly track how much they had received was by how much they had stored. This is full. That city over there is full. That city over there is full. They're just simply at that point ensuring that every storehouse in every community is full. During the fruitful seasons, Joseph and his wife had two sons. The name of the two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, would go on to be the names of the two most prominent tribes in Israel. The text makes it plain that these boys' names mean uh, what Joseph had felt. He, he named them, by the way. Recall that unlike Judah, his brother, which is the line of the promised seed, who allowed for his wife to do that naming and was also not so good with promises to daughter-in-laws, Joseph was involved in the naming of his children. I have to say involved because there's, there's wives in the room that get angry if I said Joseph flat out did it. I mean, the text says Joseph named them, so we'll just leave it there. We learn yet another principle from Joseph's time since being thrown into the dry pit. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to go through these quickly, but 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Essentially, Joseph, thrown in the pit, is almost a picture of being buried. He's brought out of that pit, not by his own strength. He's moved around and, and used, and I wouldn't say abused, but definitely used for this 13, maybe a dozen year period. He's not living his life anymore. And now he doesn't have his name anymore. He's given a new name, a new honor, a new uh, type of royalty is bestowed upon him. And this lines up very, very well with what we're going to be going into Sunday afternoon, Lord willing, as we start to consider the prodigal son. 
Because we see kind of the same thing happening there in the parable the Lord tells. In Romans 8.18 we read, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Think of young Joseph. The humiliation and the suffering that he had experienced, even in Potiphar's home, even in the prison, could not be compared. It couldn't even be conceived to the level of authority he was going to rise to. His brothers, his father, all scoffed. Shh, don't don't say those things. Rise to such power. Just because of that coach you got, you think you're going, going places? None, including Joseph, could have even imagined where he is now. And we see that by how Joseph named his kids. God did this. God has allowed for me to have peace over my past and be fruitful going forward. Every house in which Joseph had been since that time had prospered, and now the entirety of Egypt experienced that same prosperity. Think about it on that level. Joseph's not just blessing Potiphar's house anymore. He's not just blessing Potiphar's prison anymore. Potiphar, or Joseph, rather, is, is, is seeing a blessing for an entire nation. And big picture, like we talked about last time, jumping forward a little bit as we're chasing the promised seed here, this blessing is not for this present day Egypt. This blessing is the beginning of blessings for Egypt because that's where the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, were going. We know that that's where this is going. They're learning a dependency on God in the next seven years that's coming after this. These would have been the easy years in which to say the God of Joseph was surely good. And we'll look to Isaac to tell us next Wednesday exactly how they handled it. Let's go ahead and start our our prayer services now.